0: morning guys welcome back to strip by sia your podcast for strippers sex workers and all these naked people yay <laughs> we have a fun guest on today by the name of demi mundane say hello hi
1: y'all
0: hello hello demi is a trans porn star cam girl what else do you do i don't know much about you this is the first time meeting you yay yeah.
1: um yeah mostly i do camming and porn um Lately, it's been mostly doing like mini vids and my own stuff, uh, but I do do studio shoots as well. It's been a hot minute since I did a studio shoot, but hopefully I'll be doing a tour down to the States soon so that I can hit that up.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have so many questions for you. (laughs) Ah, okay. Let's um, get started with a couple things that you do. So you mentioned you do porn. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you do camming as well, some studio shoots and stuff as well. So lots of naked stuff, which is fun. (laughs) Lots of naked sexy stuff, which is great. Um, I guess maybe I'll let you start whatever route you want to go down. You want to maybe talk about your role in porn, how you got started there. Yeah,
1: um, so I guess I got started in sex work because prior to transitioning i dated a lot of sex workers and so i was always just adjacent to sex work communities obviously my partner grace is a dancer with you yes uh, and i
0: want to get you on i want to get grace on the show too at some point so oh yeah <laughs> um,
1: so yeah uh grace had kind of i guess i guess grace and i were both kind of t- tangentially doing a little bit of sex work before 2017, when we both kind of got more into it, I had a very rough 2017.
0: Tell me about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, my mental health had just been kind of not great for the previous year, uh, which ended up m- with me leaving my job that I've been working at, at six years. I was um, design and marketing lead for a web app company. Whoa! Yeah. And so. Muggle life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just got to a point where. I just couldn't keep doing that job so I left it but my mental health was not great so it was hard to get a new job so I ended up losing my apartment and then uh had to give up my dog and she ended up getting put down by the people who adopted her oh my god Um, so
0: one thing after another yeah Grace and I temporarily
1: broke up over that year which was hard it was just like a rough slew of things. Yeah. Um, I can
0: imagine. Jeez. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I kind of, for for years and years, even before I transitioned, I always had this kind of thought that if like shit hit the wall, I would move to Montreal and do sex work. I don't know why. That was just something that I had always kind of thought. And 2017, shit hit the wall. (laughs) Uh, And so I moved to Montreal and started doing sex work. Oh, wow. Um, So, yeah, it was a bit of a a weird time when I started. I think a lot of people turn to sex work in times of...
0: Desperation? Yeah, desperation or or just like
1: when things aren't going quite as as expected. Right. Uh, And so that was definitely the case with me. But I'm really glad I came into this community. Like I said, it's something that I've been interested in and, and kind of... Uh, around a lot, mm-hmm. um, and I'm really, despite having a lot of shitty things happen to get there, I'm glad that I ended up where I'm at.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So, a couple things. So, why Montreal? So,
1: um, <laughs> yeah, like, so I guess this has to do with my transition a little bit. I started. Thinking about transitioning when I was about 16 or so, I think that's around the time that I started realizing that, like, that was an option. Right. I had grown up hearing about trans women, but, like, the way that trans women were represented in the media in the early 2000s was very much one of two narratives. Either you could be the kind of unfortunate, mentally ill trans woman that I think there's a lot of uh, portrayals... Of in media and it's usually portrayed by cis men, often comedian cis men who are kind of poking fun, right, at trans women. and
0: perpetuating that. Yeah, exactly. Type. Right. And
1: the other narrative is kind of these trans women who are portrayed as men who are so gay they have to take the next step and are often shown as kind of seductress types. And often in media mm-hmm. they're played by cis women who are the gag is that they used to be a guy kind of thing. Right. And so I'd been around those narratives all of my life Mm -hmm. and neither of them really like resonated with me. And I think it was around when when I was 16 that I started being like, wait, this is not just a thing that shitty characters in TV shows do. It's something that's actually available. Right. So I started looking into it, but I never actually transitioned until I was 23 or so. So there was about seven years in my life that... I was kind of humming and hawing as to whether transition was something I wanted to go through with. When I was really feeling like I wanted to transition, often I felt that I would have to leave... A place where people knew me and right. kind of start fresh.
0: Yeah, because you're almost like changing your identity a little bit.
1: Not just a little, bit, <laughs> but a huge, like amount. a lot. Yeah. yeah,
0: certainly. And
1: there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether friends and family are going to yeah. accept you for that. Uh, yeah. So the idea of completely removing yourself from where people know you and kind of starting fresh is very appealing. Right. Uh, and since a lot of my gender stuff was wrapped up with sexuality stuff, with kink, with whatever else. Uh, Montreal was very appealing being the kind of Sin City of the North that it is. Right, yeah, Um, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) I love Montreal. So that was where the kind of romanticizing of Montreal came from. It was far from home and it was a place where it sounded like I'd be able to explore myself a bit. Right. So that's my very tangential answer to that question.
0: (laughs) That's a great answer. No, it explains a lot. And how was your experience in Montreal? Uh,
1: It was good. I think... Like kind of everything that running up to Montreal my mental health was still a bit unstable while I was there um so it wasn't as good as it probably could have been uh but I'm really glad I got I was there for a year and a half I got a lot of space that I needed to kind of even though I'd been out as a trans girl for like three years by the time I moved there I got some separation from family and and people who would known me for a long time that allowed me to kind of rediscover myself a lot and kind of explore the world of sex work along Definitely. with
0: that yeah. yeah it's like the stripper capital too of, of Canada so yeah. <laughs>
1: there's a lot of strip clubs there a lot right. of massage parlors yes a lot of
0: yeah I think Pornhub was born there too yeah. the founders were there many events
1: browsers pretty everything much,
0: yeah so it kind of made sense for you to go there mm-hmm. how was your experience I guess, transitioning with your family, your friends that are around you, people that have known you for your entire life. How is that whole situation?
1: Uh, It's a mixed bag. Yeah,
0: Um, I'd imagine so.
1: Yeah, uh, my immediate family was relatively supportive, which was nice. I think for for most people, I think earnestly tried their best. Some people didn't really get it, but still wanted the best for me kind of thing. I think what kind of distanced myself and weirded people out a little bit more than my transition was when I started doing sex work because I was very open about getting into sex work when I started mm-hmm. open to a point that I kind of regret it now but mm, that's interesting yeah what, I
0: regret why like what part what part would you regret
1: okay so uh this is another <laughs> tangent here it's okay we love sidebars here.
0: Okay,
1: cool. <laughs> it's totally um Prior to getting into sex work, I had done. I'd been writing for a popular web magazine called Mashable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. i Mashable. Yeah, so i have been writing for them for about a year uh, and had gained a bit of a popular following with a project that I worked on with them. Um, so I had a pretty big social media following. And when I started doing sex work, I was kind of presented with this dilemma as to whether I should keep my established online persona separate from my sex work persona, or whether I should melt them. And at the time, I was of the mind that I wanted to be kind of fully open and honest with people on the internet uh, and in my life, and also that it was a lot of work trying to keep the two lives separate and never touching, right. uh, especially when I was already somewhat present on the internet and at first I tried to keep them a little bit separate but there was always these collidings. people in my uh, cam room were often spamming my real name because they recognized me oh Uh, and so I was like fuck it I'm gonna own it I'm just gonna combine the two personas and just be open with my sex work persona Mm -hmm. so I did that but what I kind of failed to put together was that there was a lot of family and friends of family that followed me on my kind of non-sex work persona who are now exposed right. to this side of me right uh my mom's coworkers, whoever else it's a um, lot of collateral yeah right. it was a lot of crossover that I didn't really anticipate and also as I started doing sex work I was exploring kink a lot so I was posting a lot of this kinky shit <laughs> that was like sometimes kind of questionable as to whether I should really be sharing this <laughs> and so I have had a lot of repercussions in my personal life of people kind of being a bit weirded out by seeing a lot of me that I that maybe they didn't want to I guess. Right. So yeah I think if I could go back in time I would have done that a bit differently (laughs) but also like I think there is some power to being that open to uh, not hiding myself. I'd spent so many years in the closet so many years kind of having to keep certain parts of my life separate that when I started doing sex work, I just didn't want to have to deal with being in the closet again. Yeah.
0: And it's almost freeing that way too. It's super like such a relief to not have to hide anymore. Right. Totally. And
1: I think it was that for about the first year. And then I started kind of, Noticing the social consequences of my choices. And then I was right. like, Oh, okay, maybe this wasn't the best idea.
0: Well, I think it's also like a problem too with our generation, like you know, millennials, we're we're constantly oversharing everything, right? A hundred
1: percent. And
0: it's encouraged too, like Instagram, like it's not just pictures, it's videos, it's everything. Like it it's people want to know your lives. Well, pe- I don't know if people want to know your lives, but you want to share. And yeah. that's kind of like the society we live in now, is just to be like Have your whole life on display. (laughs)
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think that's one of the big, like, cultural questions and difficulties that millennials and Gen Z are having to deal with Mm -hmm. is Gen X and the boomers, I think they don't really understand that. And it's very difficult when us as the kind of first generation living our lives online are being very open and very honest and... And raw. Yeah, and raw, but then also trying to find employment under Gen (laughs) X bosses and boomer bosses and stuff
0: like that. Yeah.
1: Um, And in the last couple of years, I've been kind of looking at maybe getting a muggle job again. Muggle job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or just kind of having that as a backup for when I decide to leave sex work. Right. And now that I've been so open with my sex work stuff, it's like kind of nerve-wracking
0: right
1: uh, considering applying for jobs
0: it can be really tricky too because like i I was job hunting for nine months Mm -hmm. so i guess you don't really know me that well but i (laughs) i work in a corporate job so nine to five and then i also kind of moonlight sometimes and uh do some dancing on the side as well just because like I love I love performing I love dancing and I also love being naked so (laughs) it's like a natural fit plus I'm I would consider myself an exhibitionist so yes it just fits but I remember me job hunting for like a considerable amount of time like nine months I've gotta had a baby you know what I mean I was like considering like maybe I should just become a mom (laughs) <laughs> like thinking of stupid things but anyways i was in a bad place this year and and um mental health was not in a good place yeah. as well i've
1: had that i should just be a Santa
0: home mom yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay cause it's like a natural thing yeah. but anyways like i was doing my job hunt and job hunting for almost a year and um because i am so open on my social media as well mm-hmm. families on there, friends like dad's friends i don't know, mom's friends like second cousins like Everyone, right? Yeah. And I always tend to forget like who's following me and stuff too and I'm always so open about like, hey, I'm dancing at Penthouse or Hey, like come see me here and like you know, I post like a lot of photos from like my photo shoots and usually it's a lot of boudoir, like lots of like very like nakedy <laughs> type of themes, which mm-hmm. I enjoy. But my mom like had a conversation with me and she was like, you know, maybe you're not getting a job because of what you're posting online and she brought up a really valid point and i always like that thought would always be at the back of my mind but i would just kind of be in denial and be like well you know what i don't want to work for an employer that wouldn't like has those views you know what i mean totally so here. but i i'd always forget like okay like who's following me and like i have to be aware of like the content i am posting but at the same time i, I am owning it like i i don't really give a fuck yeah totally you here. know so yeah, yeah, it was, like, kind of tricky. But luckily, I, I was able to find something that was, like, within my skill set oh, yeah. and stuff, too. But, yeah, it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. But um, can you tell me about, like, your life before you got into sex work and, like, why you decided to leave and how, like, that transition
1: was? Uh, yeah. So, like I said, I, I worked for six years as designer marketing lead for a web app company. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very... Like, prior to transition, I was very kind of tech bro-y. Oh,
0: Uh, wow. (laughs) You're in the right city for that, so... Yeah, well, I
1: was in Victoria before. Oh,
0: okay. But yes,
1: still, it was uh, a lot of tech stuff going on. Right. And I really did enjoy the tech industry for quite a while. I think when I transitioned, one, I was already working so hard at my day job, and then adding transition onto that, which is, like, a full-time job of, like... Rediscovering oneself, doing that kind of personal work, and also, like, trying to figure out hair and makeup. Like, all of the stuff that a lot of cis girls kind of have to deal with and process in their teen years, uh, I was doing in my mid to late 20s. Right. Alongside having a full-time job, which was difficult. Yeah. I'd imagine. Um, Super stressful. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, puberty sucks the first time around. Having to deal with it when your parents aren't... uh, like, covering up <laughs> your... Like, yeah. It was a whole big deal. So, yeah, I got a bit exhausted from that. And then I started writing for Mashable about trans issues. And then I started working with um, trans youth support uh, staff. And I was also... feel like there's another part-time job I'm missing. Anyway, <laughs> all the jobs. Yeah, the I was just, like, doing all of this work. And in 2016, I just, like, burnt the fuck out. Um, right. And just... I felt like I also felt like I kind of lost respect within my job before leaving, partly as an partly as a result of transitioning. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and maybe this is a unfair <laughs> assessment, but it felt very much like I was pretty I guess, well-established within the company. I had a few people who worked under me. I was also the youngest person on the team and the only femme-presenting person on the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think before I was femme-presenting, I had a lot more respect from the people who I worked with. Really? And when I started presenting femme, I felt like I kind of lost a certain amount of that respect, especially from new hires. Oh. Um, I had a few men in their 40s who were working under me, essentially, and it felt like they had a lot of issues taking, I guess, receiving guidance from from a girl in her mid-20s. Right. And... It reached a point where I just like I couldn't deal with it anymore, and that's when I kind of bounced from that gig, and wow. then had that really interesting 2017, and wow, and like that,
0: so. amazing. So that's incredible. That's a, that's a lot to go through. Holy crap.
1: Yeah, the last yeah. few years have been intense. But,
0: yeah, but yeah. things are hopefully better now. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Perfect. So why don't we talk about? Uh, I guess. Did you first start get getting into porn first, or was it camming? Camming, definitely. Yeah, it yeah. was a good entry entry level, I guess. Yeah, it's
1: easy. And even before I would left my <laughs> marble job, I was doing some camming here and there, just kind of as a fun thing. Like
0: dabbling with it. Yeah,
1: yeah. and like <laughs> as like a trans woman, especially an early transition, it's hard to feel kind of desired and sexy were often not portrayed as desirable there was that whole thing with Victoria's Secret that the CEO said that we sell fantasies and that's why we don't hire trans women models because trans women aren't a fantasy
0: right I remember that that was like a couple years ago right yeah Yeah, it was like a year or two ago and
1: then she ended up getting canned and replaced and now they have trans models. I was just gonna say yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was amazing
0: (laughs) yeah so I guess camming first. Yeah, sorry. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, so camming was a way that made me feel very desirable. Having people pay me money to see me naked felt really good. Um, so it was kind of more of a self-esteem booster at first and then eventually became the main money maker. That's
0: amazing. <sighs> we did an episode, I guess it's airing this week, when, yeah. Obviously, guys, we're recording in advance. Yes. Um, uh, we did an interview with a girl from MyFreeCams, okay. Cutie, and um, she kind of explained like how camming works and, you know, there's kind of like a niche for everything, Absolutely. <laughs> right? And there's so many different kinds of girls. Like we, we went online, and looked at the website, and there's like so many different styles and stuff too. I guess that would go the same way for a trans too, or is that itself just a niche?
1: There's, so that's something I kind of come up with, or come up against my own self, is I really like doing kink and fetish stuff, mm-hmm. um, but often trans women are seen as inherently a fetish. It's almost like, as well, studios especially, but also just producing indie content as well. People like their fetishes to be just that thing, and crossover often limits you. Right. Um, so when I want to do heavy kink stuff. Uh, sometimes I find that there's not as much interest for that cuz people just want the chick with a dick fantasy kind of thing. Right. And
0: that's like kind of like stereotypical, like super like that's kind of the first thing that people love when it comes to mind, so, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So sometimes I find that's kind of a difficulty, but also like trans porn has grown so much in the last couple of years and there is more and more demand for that. For trans women doing like really intense kink stuff, I think. Oh, good. Um, Natalie Mars is a really popular trans porn star who's been doing a lot of kink stuff that's been very popular. Yeah, trans porn has kind of gone mainstream since I started. Uh, awesome. It's been, nice. it's been good,
0: obviously, and beneficial yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, couple things here, so porn and i want to talk to you about kink and fetish as well so okay. i guess let's start talking about porn okay. <laughs> and how you got. how did you get started with that
1: well i've been camming for a while and it's hard to since there's so few since the amount of trans girls doing sex work on the internet is a lot smaller than the amount of cis girls doing it because there's just totally. less trans girls out there right it's kind of hard to exist as a trans girl on the internet without having somebody contact you about shooting porn. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> yeah. There's a few scouts that are kind of notorious who kind of just... I had messages in my inbox on Instagram before I even started doing sex work of people being like, hey, you should do porn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like when I kind of decided that I was going to start doing sex work, I just kind of found whoever messaged me most recently. <laughs> Uh, hit him up. And there's kind of one guy in Canada who does a lot of solo shoots and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, and he's in Montreal. Oh, okay. And so I ended up working with him and we did like five sh- solo shoots together.
0: Wow. Yeah. How was that? Was it hard to get into that or? Yeah. Yeah. The
1: first couple of scenes were a bit rough. Um,
0: really nerve-wracking. Like, I would be super nervous. <laughs> yeah,
1: like, I often say that trans girls have the hardest job in porn, because in kind of the normal straight porn, the girl has to look pretty and perform for the camera because usually it's the girl who's in shot and the guy is kind of just like a headless. Cock yeah, always, fight. always. Yeah. And the guy's responsibility is to stay hard and fuck. Yeah. Trans girls have both of those shared yeah. responsibilities. So it's really fucking hard to like look pretty, stay hard and also like take a cock up your ass.
0: Um, so many things going on yeah exactly
1: so my first couple of shoots um like they were solo shoots so it's mostly playing with toys and stuff but Mm -hmm. it was really tough to like focus on like how's my face looking is my cock still hard (laughs) gotta stay relaxed so that I can like take something on my hand yeah Um, (laughs) so yeah it was really hard I remember my first shoot it took me like 45 minutes or something just to get hard.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. So that <laughs> like, was no like... pressure.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's really awkward because there's just somebody sitting there with a the camera just like waiting for you. Like, <laughs> and you're just kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> so I was making jerk off most of the <laughs> time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it was a bit awkward, but you get used to it. You learn some tricks.
0: Yeah. What, what are some tricks? i mean if you want to share
1: i feel like for me i need to kind of like learn to dissociate while still looking sexy where like let my mind go off to fantasy land do that thing while also still like having some part of my brain remaining and working it for the camera kind of thing right which is kind of hard to do sometimes but (laughs) yeah
0: can you tell me about the process uh i guess like when you first start shooting porn so somebody contacted you Mm -hmm. you got back to them how does it all work how do you know what's legit like how do you protect yourself yeah what are some precautions Um, I have so many questions
1: Ah, (laughs) I feel like I'm I'm at the time I wasn't fully aware of those things I was just kind of like like I said my life had kind of fallen apart a little bit and I was just like fuck it whatever I don't care anymore I'm just doing whatever I guess, I guess that's not true. I did, because um, on Twitter, Vito, the photographer, reached out to me, um, and he was like, hey, I work for Grooby, which is, like, the big trans porn company. Okay. And he was like, I'd love to do a shoot with you, blah, blah, blah. But his Twitter account, like, didn't have that many followers. I had no idea, like, how, like, whether or not he was telling the truth.
0: Yeah, if he's legitimate.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I asked him, I was like, hey, is there any way that you can, like... Like show me that you are attached with Groovy, and he had the guy who runs Groovy like DM me and say like Yeah, Vito's one of ours and stuff like that. Oh, good. I think a lot of porn in my mind, and I've only done a certain amount of porn, so other people might disagree with this, but I feel like there's kind of three main tiers to porn. There's kind of the indie stuff where it's just a few performers getting together and selling stuff on their mini bids or their personal sites or mm-hmm. OnlyFans or whatever. Yeah, uh, and then there's on the other end, there's the kind of, like, high-end, like, browsers and stuff. Right. Where it's, like, a full set. A, a full shoot, yeah. yeah. exactly. There's scripts and a director and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of porn that you see on the internet kind of is in this middling zone where it's just, like, there's a photographer, he is director and everything, everything producer, yeah. all together. And they're just kind of, like, pointing and kind of suggesting things to, for you to do. And you kind of just kind of make it up on the spot. But because of that, there's a lot of people who are just kind of getting into porn because they feel like they can do that, you know? So in terms of trying to weed out the people who are doing a good job versus the people who are just like trying to see some girls naked, ask around within your community, figure out if they're kind of respected, follow them on Twitter for a while. Often you'll see... There's even some very popular people who I'm not going to name because I don't want to like start shit, (laughs) but you'll see people who are less professional often will be trashing other girls on their social media. That's a very common thing that I've seen.
0: Because why?
1: Just, I don't know, because they're insecure and they... uh,
0: Need validation or something. Yeah, exactly.
1: And feel like it makes them look more powerful. Oh, God. uh, By (laughs) bash. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, don't trust the cis straight men who are making money off of them. I was going to say. <laughs> like, yes, we often do need them. Maybe not need them, but we often have to interact with them within our in- industries, but never trust them.
0: Pro tip, guys. Pro tip. <laughs> yeah, and that goes with
1: all sex work. Like, I'm sure within dancing, you've come across that as well.
0: Oh, definitely. Like, yeah. like in terms of, like, photographers and stuff. Like, everyone's a fucking photographer on Instagram. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, like, there's so many ones that, like, oh, I want to shoot you naked for free, and I want to do this, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and I look at your work, and it's super amateur, and I'm like, goodbye. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah. Like, nothing's legitimized at all. But, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff, too. And, you know, a lot of people pr- try to promise you things. And you just have to kind of do your due diligence and just do your homework and take those precautions. And, totally. Yeah, because you never know. There's been a, there's been a lot of. Uh, I think there was a couple of photographers. There used to be an Instagram account that kind of like warned the model community about photographers. I can't yeah. remember what it was called anymore, but same kind of thing though too. Mm-hmm. Speaking on the lines of safety, how like do you do a lot of I guess partner porn? Um,
1: I've done like a lot of kind of like trade shoots where we'll shoot a bunch of content with another performer Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll both take the raw footage and edit it on our own ways and release it on our um, respective sites and stuff like that. Uh, I should probably do more of that (laughs) um, because yeah, duo clips definitely sell a lot better than solo clips in my experience, but. How, yeah. do you,
0: how do you ensure your safety and like and your, your health and all that as well like how, how what kind of precautions do you take can you talk a little bit about that yeah so there's kind of like
1: the uh, in terms of physical health um there's kind of the gold gold standard of, of testing in the states they have talent testing services i guess they have it here now too but it's like not as common to get your gold standard from talent testing in canada okay. as it is in the states Um, But that's just, like, a list of the kind of common STI, STD tests. And I think you have to have it done within 30 days, but preferably two weeks um, Mm -hmm. before shooting with anybody. Uh, And it's good to kind of, usually when we do a trade shoot, we'll show each other our tests, take pictures, so we both have copies for our files. Also exchange IDs and fill out the um, uh, content release forms and stuff for each other uh, and get that kind of out of the way. (laughs) In terms of just like making sure that people are chill because these shoots are for trade, looking at people's sites where they sell their clips and stuff um, Mm -hmm. so that you can get an idea that they have shot with other people, reaching out to other performers that they've worked with stuff like that and not just fake (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and often like when you ask other performers even if it is an established performer that you're working with they'll be able to tell you kind of the ins and outs because even of established uh guys in particular in porn Mm -hmm. some of them can be kind (laughs) of douchebags or some of them can be perfectly fine as long as you just kind of stroke their ego and whatever else
0: right they exist in every industry don't they yeah absolutely
1: (laughs) like people often like my normie friends will often ask me if i have to deal with like shitty dudes within my job and i'm like yeah obvi but like you have to deal with shitty dudes and Everywhere. everywhere in life. Yeah.
0: Doesn't matter yeah. what doesn't matter what industry, they're just they're just everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously um trans like porn is, is very, very niche, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um kind of spoke about it's I guess kind of like their stereotypical scenes and whatnot to mm-hmm. how do you differentiate yourself from the rest? Well,
1: like I said, I like to do a lot of kink stuff. In mainstream trans porn, it's a lot of kind of more vanilla-y stuff. Mm -hmm. And then in kink porn, I would say the most popular roles of trans women is as the dominant. Because straight dudes love thinking about sucking girl dick. It's like their favorite thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, there's a lot of that. I like to do a lot of submissive trans girl stuff, which is less common but growing in popularity like I said Natalie Mars does a lot of that stuff and has be, been making it more popular mm-hmm. um I think as the transport industry grows at least I'm seeing a lot more guys who are like I don't really care that you're trans like I like hot girls and I like hot girls being submissive and don't really care if you have a dick or not like so there's a lot more leeway in terms of that that's awesome um, the kind of sissy fetish is a whole big thing. Can you that explain I kind of... a bit
0: about that? So, For people that aren't familiar.
1: Yeah, um, there's this fetish that a lot of straight guys and of probably an equal amount of closeted trans women and also just trans women who are into this kind of sissy fetish where it's a mixture of kind of forced feminization mm-hmm. um, as well as kind of for cis men I think it's a lot of you're not man enough kind of thing let's dress you up in pigtails and a skirt and whatever else right I think it still appeals to a lot of trans women because one often before we transitioned that was something that we used to kind of express our gender fluidity and kind of feel safe doing that and two for me at least I found my interest in the sissy fetish kind of shifted as I transitioned it became less you're not man enough to almost a fetishizing of not being woman
0: enough. Oh, so on the flip side. Yeah, I feel like um,
1: often fetishes are what we we often fetishize what we don't have control of over Mm -hmm. in everyday life and things that sometimes hurt us in certain ways. Right. And for me, a lot of my interest in the kind of sissy fetish comes from experiencing a lot of trans misogyny in my life of having people telling me that I'm or having having narratives come at me that trans women aren't actually women that uh we're just some sort of like weird perverted men or whatever right so to a certain extent there's a part of my subconscious I guess that thinks that taking control of those scenarios uh and uh, intentionally subjecting myself to them is kind of hot. Yeah, it's kind of hot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, and I think there's also a whole other... In terms of kind of porn viewers, there's kind of two people who enjoy seeing me act out sissy fetish stuff, which is men and closeted trans women who wish that they were me in that scenario. And then right. there's men who like the idea of dominating somebody within that role of saying Mm. oh you're not quite man enough you're not quite woman enough and I'm going to use that to kind of dominate over you hold over you kind of thing So that's that's fascinating yeah that's kind of a, a fetish that I've been exploring a lot lately part of the reason is that I think I'll have less I'm getting my titties done soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yay! And then, it's th- exciting! Yeah. Uh, and I think when I get those done, I'll have less access to that fetish. So I'm just right. trying to pump out as much content yep. along those lines. Take advantage
0: while you have it. <laughs> exactly. Because it is
1: such a huge thing. Like, right. Uh, for people who might not be aware of this fetish, it's like a really, really popular thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. How, how did you get into fetish, into kink?
1: Yeah, so uh, prior to transition, uh, my only real acts, like, I always had a drive towards femininity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think some trans women before transition allow themselves time and space to uh, explore femininity a bit. Uh, in their presentation, I mm-hmm. was very intensely in the closet, and I repressed the shit out of any sort of femininity that I had. Wow! And so, when I was accessing porn on the internet or online sexual communities of whatever sort, mm-hmm. that was often the only space where I allowed myself kind of leeway mm-hmm. to explore femininity
0: because it was such a private thing. Yeah, because it yeah. was,
1: I, I was able to do it without kind of
0: nobody will know Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for your eyes only mm-hmm.
1: right and uh when you're kind of existing in those spaces for such long periods of time you end up finding kinky stuff eventually and mm-hmm. i mean like i said when you repress something when you don't want to acknowledge something about yourself your brain has a natural way of of fetishizing that of
0: so true yeah so true <laughs> uh
1: so i think that that's how i got a lot of I was trying so hard to be the kind of macho man and, like, all that stuff
0: that... you Like, almost overcompensating at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So then I kind of started fetishizing the submissiveness, fetishizing femininity to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Um, And because that was the only space in which I felt comfortable accessing a more diverse sense of gender, a more diverse sense of sexuality spent a lot of time watching online porn and involved in <laughs> online c- communities and you kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit totally. so by the time that I transitioned and started feeling more comfortable with my sexuality it was just like finally getting to do all these things that I thought about for so goddamn long yay yeah very exciting <laughs>
0: <laughs> what kind of kink are you into
1: everything all the
0: things <laughs> all the things all the
1: things, <laughs> <laughs> things. not very <laughs> into poop and I'm not very <laughs> into uh like anything gory or that can like leave a permanent mark but otherwise mm-hmm. like I'm fucking game. <laughs> like hit Me up and I'll probably be into it.
0: <laughs> Do you ever go to um like sin city or like fetish nights and stuff like that in Vancouver? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, love the fetish parties. Great
1: community. and for the that here. Vancouver fetish weekend is so much fun. And I did the Montreal <laughs> Fetish Weekend as well, which was oh, also fun. Oh,
0: how was that? In comparison to Vancouver. Okay,
1: so the Montreal Fetish Weekend often brags that it's like the biggest one in North America or the biggest one in Canada or right. whatever, but they have like multiple events every evening. So oh. it's very spread out. You go to an event and it doesn't fe- even if you go to the main event of the evening, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of people here, there. Whereas Here. Vancouver Fetish weekends, there's just one event per night yeah. and you go and everybody's there and it's a fucking party. So I personally preferred the Vancouver Fetish Weekend. Yay! But, uh, the Montreal <laughs> Fetish Weekend did have a much more like community and there was a lot more opportunities to play at Montreal Fetish oh, Weekend. okay. Whereas Vancouver Fetish Weekend, because it is very party oriented yeah. and it's like there's so many people there. Getting access to a play space is less available, you know?
0: Can you speak more about Vancouver Fetish Week? We're not sponsored by them, (laughs) but...
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's dope. I mean, it's just the, the... I think it's technically the weekend, but it runs for like four or five days... There's a cruise. Yeah, at the a cruise end of and it stuff. All. Yeah, there's yeah. Like a whole bunch of
0: stuff happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's dope. It's a really fun time. There's workshops and stuff. Some people just go to parties. Some people are more interested in the workshops. People come from everywhere. Like every year that I've gone, I've met people from all over the place. Oh wow
0: yeah super really diverse mm-hmm. right can you tell us about i guess you have to you, there is a dress code i think for fetish week
1: depends on the event right but yes some events will have like there'll be rubber events and you have to be wearing a certain amount of rubber oh wrinkles. wow and then cool. other other of them you can come dressed whatever other ones you have to have some sort of visible fetish wear yes it just
0: depends on the the theme or whatnot yeah cool what kind of workshops do they have there oh uh,
1: I'm sure it's like rope stuff and like how to um, negotiate boundaries or not negotiate but like communicate boundaries and stuff like that. Uh, Workshops on all sorts of things, I guess. All the things.
0: That's so fascinating. You're so diverse. I'm like, I just feel like this is just not enough time (laughs) to cover everything. Like, I have so many more questions. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, but we are running out of time for my podcast. I'll just have to get you back on. Maybe with Grace. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> yes, I still need to reach out to her again. Grace, if you're listening, <laughs> you're next. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we'll go into some a because there was a few questions that we cool. had here. So this one sounds like really I don't know, I'm, <laughs> vague. Okay. <laughs> Said, what was your first show? I'm not sure if they mean like first scene or or something else.
1: Yeah, uh, my first scene was a solo shoot. Right. It was pretty like. Basic, I don't know, I feel like the we shot two scenes that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we kind of did like a nice one and a naughty one. And a <laughs> nice one I was kind of playing the shy and demure thing. But right. also like, I don't know. People can go and find my first scene if they want. It's under my old stage name, Courtney Demi mm-hmm. on Canda Tea Girl. It's the name of the website that it's on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 guy who was shooting it asked me while I was on film. He was like, "What kind of? What's your biggest fantasy or whatever?" And we had just been talking about fantasies, and mm-hmm. I kind of mentioned one that was like pretty risque. <laughs> um, and I kind of blanked when he asked me that question, so I said the really risque one. And it's <laughs> one of those things that I kind of a little uncomfortable <laughs> out there that me saying that. What was it? Actually, you'll have to repeat it. Yeah, I'm to repeat it, but... <laughs> you guys can find it, guys. If very interested, they can go and find my first scene on Canada Tea Girl. And there we go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I also wanted to ask you... I forgot to ask. Um, so you changed your name, from mm-hmm. Courtney, to Demi. Was mm-hmm. there, re- there any, like, reasoning behind that? Or just change of identity? Yeah. Or
1: I think this goes back to when I first uh, switched over my kind of uh, muggle uh, social media to sex work stuff I wanted people to still be able to recognize that it was still me so Mm -hmm. I chose a stage name that was incredibly close to my real name just a couple letters off kind of thing okay and that felt good at the time uh, and it provided a sense of continuity to me however over time one I didn't like the name because it was very difficult to spell and I feel like people were struggling with that on on search sites and whatever else okay (laughs) uh and two I just S- didn't like having my stage name be so similar to my real legal name so yeah. that was i kind of like played around with a few ideas and then settled on me mundane
0: there we go yeah. <laughs> cool <laughs> what is your preparation ritual for a scene and days leading up to and on the
1: day of that's a really good question mm. um so I mean, anal prep is the biggest thing. I'm putting big things up my butt. Yeah, um,
0: huge <laughs> preparation for that
1: guy. Yeah. So lately, I got um, I, I usually eat pretty well the day before, but I try and eat things with um, which type of fiber? There's yeah. two types of fiber. The one that makes things pass through you quicker. I try <laughs> and keep a lot of that going the day before. Right. Uh, in the past, I used to try and fast for 24 hours before. I find that often just makes me cranky and tired and, like, difficult to perform the day of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll just eat a lot, but I'll eat stuff that's going to pass through me pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Day of, if it's a morning shoot or early afternoon shoot, often I'll either skip breakfast or have an, a small breakfast. Right. I have a shower head attachment that uh, goes up my ass and cleans everything out. I find that's a, li- a little bit easier than the... Um, the baldy uh, anal douches. Right. Uh, but it is a bit more messy, so I'll <laughs> do that. Uh, about an hour before my shoot, I'll take an emodium because that'll kind of clog everything up and right. keep everything safe back there. <laughs> Sometimes if I'm feeling a bit bloated, I'll take uh, like a diuretic tea or something like that. That's going to make me feel less bloated. Right. Stretching is really important, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to be shooting with somebody else or bottoming or whatever else. There's a
0: lot to prepare for. Yeah. Lots of things you have to think in advance.
1: Totally. Wow. Oh my yeah. Gosh. And often another thing is if I have enough, enough heads up, I will try and refrain from orgasming for a couple days because that'll make getting hard on set a lot easier. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: great question thanks chris i'm pretty sure chris sent that in okay well i guess we kind of address this a little bit but we can definitely go in more detail if you'd like um what was the process like for you on leaving mug life behind that's from ray de soleil oh yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i mean like i said everything had kind of like fallen apart (laughs) from my ears right so it was just kind of things had already been left behind and in a somewhat dramatic way So yeah, I, uh, there wasn't a lot of thought into it at the time, like not to get too dark or whatever. I was like pretty suicidal, Mm uh, and sex work and exploring my sexuality and exploring kink were kind of the few things I was excited about left in life. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so it was very easy to focus on those and kind of like exclude everything else. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I kind of have regrets about how focused I was, but, uh, yeah. As much as I might have regrets, uh, I think that's just part of life is doing things that maybe weren't optimal at the time and kind of trying to figure out how to work with them more in the future.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, look where you are now. you yeah. such a long way. Well,
1: thanks.
0: Incredible. <laughs> okay. So a couple more questions here. Homemade porn versus commercially produced porn. So I guess that would be more indie versus like stage i, I would say yeah, yeah
1: so like i said i haven't done very much like high production porn mm-hmm. uh one thing i will say is that unless you're living in a porn hub like mm-hmm. well <laughs> hub, like a, a city that is has a lot of porn production going on like vegas or yeah LA to a lesser extent now because they have the condom laws there now
0: Oh, wait, what? LA okay.
1: County, you need to be wearing a, a condom on set, uh, which oh. is somewhat uncomfortable when you're fucking for hours on end. Yeah. Um. So Certainly. they've moved much of porn production Down out of Vegas. LA yeah. into Vegas and San Diego and wow. to a smaller extent, the Bay Area, I think. But I'm not super familiar with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so unless you're living in one of those areas, it's very difficult to... Maintain a career just doing studio porn. Right. Uh, And often, especially once you get your own indie site established, uh, often you're going to make more money post, like, sharing content on your indie site than you would be shooting a studio scene. Oh. So in my experience, personally, I look at studio shoots not so much as an opportunity for money, but an opportunity for exposure. Right. It's a great marketing
0: platform almost. A hundred
1: percent. And like the the fact that you get paid for it is kind of a bonus. Mm -hmm. Um, But because of that, uh, like I talked about earlier, you often have people coming to you asking to shoot for whatever reason, uh, shoot for their own sites or whatever. And nine times out of 10, unless they're like a really, unless they have a really big audience or something Mm -hmm. like that it's usually better to do a trade shoot, in my opinion, because then oh. you have content to sell yourself, right? Uh, which helps build up your own uh, reputation, build up your own clips that you can sell. and yeah,
0: Right. Wow. So much to consider. Um, I guess on that note, best porn sites out there for distribution? You mentioned ManyVids, yeah. a couple others mm-hmm. as well. I like ManyVids.
1: They've been really good to me um, from the get-go. Uh, I got to do a mini Fitz loft in early 2018. Uh, so that was really fun. Cool. <laughs> I was on, I want clips and amateur porn. I never, I really like, I want clips custom order form the way that they do custom orders. I really <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, but I never made that many regular clip sales. Amateur porn. I made very little on though. I have some friends who fucking kill it on there. So
0: I guess it just depends, right? Yeah. It yeah. depends
1: on who you are as a performer. Uh, what type of content you do, how you like to use your sites or whatever. Um, I've heard from a lot of people that Clips for Sale has a ton of sales on it because it is, like, the oldest one of those sites. Which one? Clips for Sale. Oh, Clips for Sale, yeah, yeah. But their site hasn't been updated in, like, 20 years. It looks like it's straight up 1999. (laughs) Uh, And it's very difficult to use. And they're also, like, to get started with them, you need, like, 10 clips and you have to put a lot of effort in to get started with them. Mm. So I've never used that. a lot of work. That. Yeah, but yeah. I've heard that from uh, more established girls in the industry that they're probably number one or number two in terms of sales Oh, um, up there with many vids. Cool. Yeah. There's also Model I'm... Hub now, which is Pornhub's version, which apparently is also oh, very good.
0: Oh, wow, there's so many out there. In case you guys are interested, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, last couple questions: Do you prefer taking it or giving it? What's the better orgasm?
1: Oh, yeah, interesting. I'm, just- <laughs> um, I'm definitely a bottom, mm-hmm. so I like taking it a lot more. When I top, it's often just for a scene. I, I very rarely top in my personal life, though. There was a time where I just said I didn't top at all, uh, and then. In the last year or so, I've opened up a bit more to it. So.
0: Cool. Yeah. Good questions. Um, last question. Uh, weirdest request or scene you've ever done?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> oh God. Um, <laughs> oh got up, <laughs> yeah, I ended up not doing this one because I was kind of uncomfortable with it, but it was real weird. This guy wanted me to do a kind of like me talking to the camera thing that I was a cam girl who used like military drones to like take out the people watching my porn while they're watching it what yeah so it had, kind of had this like snuff fetish thing to it and yeah. that's why i was kind of uncomfortable with it right but it was a kind of a creative request
0: a no, very creative I've definitely never heard of that before yeah <laughs> that's definitely very interesting um well with that <laughs> that brings us to the end of this episode wow that was so incredible such an eye-opening an Amazingly informative episode today. Thank you so much, Demi. Where Thank you. you're so welcome. Where can we find you? Uh,
1: uh, demimundane.minivids.com is my main kind of thing right now. Um, I might be getting back on Chatterbait sometime soon, and my username on there is xabby ray, which was my very, very first stage name. Wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> went through a couple changes,
1: yeah. Um, so if you're a Chatterbait user, I might be back on there sometime soon. But right now, I'm kind of focusing on many vids. So
0: awesome! Instagram, if you want to post. That. Oh yeah,
1: my Instagram and my Twitter are CybersexBarbie.
0: <laughs> Love that name. <laughs> so great, um, guys! Thanks so much for listening to another great episode of Strip by Sia. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and follow uh, Strip by Sia on Instagram. My personal one is Sia Steph and. Uh, we will catch you guys for another episode. Thank you again, Debbie, for coming you. in. And uh, yeah, I'll tune in again next Sunday and have a great weekend, guys. Peace.
1: Peace. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> that was great.
0: By Sia, produced in a